We now come to the uh, parable of the prodigal son. And it is one of the best known parables that's out there. And there are three main characters in it. We have the father, first of all, which represents the father. And remember that parables are meant to give us clarity for those that are on the inside. If you already have a relationship with Christ, parables are meant to give you clarity. If you are outside of a relationship with Christ, it's actually meant to hinder things from you. So it's meant to show you when you are on the inside. And so there is this, this picture of the father that runs out to meet his prodigal son and goes out to meet his, his elder son who's upset because of the forgiveness he gave the prodigal son. And it speaks of the great love that the father has for the lost. We're going to talk about that and I'll show you, we'll establish that here in a moment. Then there's the prodigal son, which represents not only Christians who have walked away, but represents anyone that is in the world who has never come to their creator. There is a sense in which everybody in the world is an offspring of God. There is a sense in when you come to Christ, you are adopted into the family of God and you receive an inheritance as a child, which is amazing. But there's a sense in which everybody in the world is a child of God and God reaches out to everyone in the world. And, and, and this is the prodigals that God wants to bring back. Then there's the faithful son. I don't believe that this is a representation of the scribes and Pharisees that many people believe because the father says to the son, this faithful son, you have been with me all along and everything I have is yours. He's just got problems. Sometimes faithful children of God can have problems as well. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. So, uh, you know, a lot of times we can be self-righteous. A lot of times because we faithfully serve God and we have the blessings from faithfully serving God, we can look down on people who struggle. And God wants to speak to us that we would not do that in our account today as we look at the prodigal son. So the first two things that I want to do is I want to establish God's love for everyone in the world, that God has revealed himself to everyone who is in the world today. This is really important for us. The largest religion in the world is Christianity. It's about two and a half billion people around the world. The gospel is represented everywhere. Jesus knew this in, in what I call the Jesus predictions. He predicted that the gospel would go around the world. In, in one of those predictions, he said, what this woman has done for me, this was Mary, the sister of Martha, that anointed Jesus' feet for his, for his death. He said, what this woman has done for me Everywhere the gospel is preached around the world will be spoken of as a memorial to her. So God wanted not only Israel, the nation of Israel, to bless all nations. That When God established the nation of Israel through Abraham, that's what he said. I am going to establish a nation through you and through your seed, that's a descendant of Israel, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God has always had a global scope. And God has a global scope today with the church as well. And I want to show you that first of all. So there is a way in which God has revealed himself to every person on earth. These are people that have never been in a church, never ran into anybody that has ever told them the gospel. There, there are unreached people groups today that are around the world. And Christians are faithfully endeavoring to reach these people groups. Uh, but God has revealed himself to every one of them. Every one of them. And God says that he's done this in three ways. Uh, Revelations 1, um, excuse me, Romans 1 and 2 talks about that God has put inside of every person a revelation of his existence so that every person that is born, the Bible says, knows that there is a God. 
It's this internal revelation that God's given them. Also, he's given them an external revelation, and that's creation. There's a creation. It's very complex. It's very fine-tuned. It's, it's much more complex than what Darwin thought when he came up with his theory of evolution. And it, the fact that there's a crea creation means there's a creator. And this is around the world. You go to a people group that has been unreached and they believe in a creator because there's a creation. And God says in Romans that he gave them this creation as an external revelation. So they know because it's inside of them and they know because there's this external revelation. Also, the Bible tells us that God has set eternity in our hearts. Not only does God reveal to every person that's ever gets to the age where they can begin to understand that God exists and the external revelation of creation, but that there's an eternity. Those are the three things that every, every man, every woman, woman knows around the world because God has revealed it. I could go over those passages. I won't for the sake of time, but I do want to cover one that I want to show you God talking about this. He talks in the book of Acts and Paul is preaching to the Athenians. Paul has made his way to Europe. He, he's preaching on Mars Hill, on the Aragopagus. If you've ever been to Athens, you probably visited the Aragopagus. One of the things that I remember about is it's super slippery. It's really easy to fall down. But I got to preach there well, when we were there, which was awesome. I was preaching the exact same place that Paul was. And there were people of Athens that moved close to hear the message that I was giving, which was absolutely amazing. So Paul's preaching there and he's preaching to Athenians. He's not preaching to Jews. These are philosophers who are Athenians. And listen to what he says. This is in Acts 17, 26 through 28. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined the pre-appointed times in other words, God puts every person in a time that he wants to put them in. You are in this time because God put you here. He has predetermined times and boundaries for their dwellings. So not only are you in this time because God's put you here, but you are in Tucson because God put you here. And whether you know it or not, you have boundaries that you live in. And you've moved within those boundaries. And they're pre-appointed by God of their dwellings. It goes on to say, so that they should seek the Lord. Why did God put men in certain times and in certain places? So they could seek God. And listen to this. In hope that they might grope for him and find him. That's the position of someone living around the world that is, has never heard the name of Christ, but understands that there's a God, that there's an eternity and there's a creator. They're groping for God and God has put them there at times and places. We could say, he has predetermined them so that they would come to Christ, that people that respond positively would be able to come to Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly how this works. Maybe God puts people that are going to find Jesus in the places where they need to be to hear the gospel. Maybe they're like Abraham. Abraham never heard the name of Jesus, but Abraham was saved by Jesus. The Bible says, and Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him righteousness. He didn't know about Jesus, but because he believed what God said, he was accounted to him what Jesus did. He was saved by Jesus, but it was accounted to him for that. And so can God save someone around the world who responds positively to the light that they have been given and it's accounted to them righteousness through Jesus Christ? 
I believe that's the case. How exactly it works, I cannot explain. I don't think anyone can. But we do know that God has such a heart for the lost around the world that he has given everyone these revelations, which is amazing that there's no one that's born in the world that doesn't have God near them. Now, I want to give you a few verses on the love of God. We know that God is love and we know that God loves us. And we know from Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You can be separated from the fellowship of God, but you can't be separated from the love of God. God loves you. You feel unlovable. I understand that. There are people who do. There are people who never get over feeling unlovable. God loves you. He loves you deeply. Listen to what the Bible says in these few verses. Romans 5, 8. But God determines his love towards us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus did not die for you because you had a good day or you're a pretty good person inside. He died for you when you were a sinner. I like to say Jesus died for you on your worst day. He was like, I, I want to give you mercy. That's the incredible compassion and grace of Jesus. Of course, John 3, 16, and I won't quote it, but you know it well. God loves the world, so anyone who believes will not perish. So I quoted it anyway, kind of. In Ezekiel 33, 11, God says this, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from their way to live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God takes no pleasure when someone walks away from him and does not follow him. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, it says, speaking of God, who desires all men to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to be saved around the globe and all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. And in this moment, I just kind of want to encourage you to gain the heart of God. If God has a passion for men's souls around the world, then may you have a passion for the unsaved people that God puts into your sphere. We've been put where we are to grope for God, according to Acts 17, but we also have been put here to be witnesses to those who are lost. And that means you have family, friends, co-workers, and acquaintances that make up part of your sphere of influence. Some people have a larger sphere of influence. Some people have a smaller sphere of influence. You are only responsible for your sphere of influence. God's not going to make you responsible for people that are outside of that sphere. But you want to be faithful towards them. And the Bible says that we don't get what we pray for because we're not praying according to God's will. Jesus said, if you pray according to my will, I'll answer your prayers. The verse I just read says that God wants all people to be saved and all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I would encourage you to pray for the people around you who don't know Christ. Now, I want to get really, really practical. We, we are working on a prayer app on the, in the church. Um, we've looked at what's out there. And it, what is out there when we looked, I don't know what, if there, anything has come out. It's not really good. It's not really sufficient for what we want to do. We want an app that you can make your own prayer list in so that when you look at your phone, here, here's what we used to do years ago when we went to Chipotle and we had to stand in line for 45 seconds.
That's what we used to do, right? What do we do now? Everybody in line. Right? We have five seconds we pull out our phone. Five, you know, to, just to look at. So what I'm suggesting is this. Use the notes on your app. The notes, you can pin notes to the top. Do a prayer list. Pin it to the top of your notes. And before you look at anything else, look at your, your prayer list and pray for the people who are there. Do it a few times a day. You could make several notes and pin them to the top. One for people who don't know Christ, one for things in your own life, one for prayers for family and friends. You can make prayer a part of your life by redeeming the time that you spend staring at your cell phone. And that is redeeming some very good time to begin to pray for people. And when we come out with the prayer app, we're going to encourage you guys as a community. You'll be able to go on there and pray for your own prayers, but you also be able to go on and put prayers on for you. When you have something you need to pray about, you put it on and then other people at the church here will get that on their prayer app and they'll be able to pray for you as well. So we're really looking forward to that. But until we get that out, use your notes on your phone as a prayer list. And I, I, I suggested this last night and I've already had several people tell me that they're excited to do it and I hope that you will because you're praying for something God wants. God wants people to get saved. Put a check on your prayers after they're done. You say, I don't know how to put a check beside something. Figure it out. You'll, you'll get there. You'll get it figured out. Put a check by it just knowing this has been God's answered this particular prayer. Second um, uh, Peter 3, 9 is like it. It says this, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. It's talking about his return. He is going to return. And some people say he said he would, but he hasn't. God's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So again, God wants all people worldwide to be saved. A couple more verses. In um, Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. God draws people to himself with his loving kindness. Preachers in the past have been so fiery and so angry when they preach. Uh, one of the great preachers that I, I love, by the way, D.L. Moody, uh, he's got a, there's a, a biography called A Passion for Souls. It's huge, but it's so good to read. And um, D.L. Moody used to preach real fiery. And then uh, just somebody came to him, put his hand on his shoulder. This is how D.L. Moody tells the story and said, have you ever considered preaching the love of God? And it was a light bulb that went off because in the early, in the mid 1800s, Nobody taught that way. People just taught, you know, you, you, you repent, you sinner, you awful person. But God draws people with their loving kindness. There is a place for telling people they're awful people, but it's God's loving kindness that is going to draw them. In Matthew 10, 31, it says, do not fear you of our more value than many sparrows. Jesus is talking about God taking care of the sparrows. Don't be afraid. You're of more value than them. Just a couple more verses and we're done. Psalms, we're, we're done with this part. <laughs> Psalms uh, 139, 14. I will praise you I, uh, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and my soul knows very well. Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and such as have a contrite spirit. 
Now this, if, you, if you're grieving today for whatever reason, there's other reasons to grieve besides losing someone you love, but maybe you've lost someone you love, or maybe you're grieving for another reason. God is nearer to you because of your broken heart. But he's also looking for people who are contrite. That's humility that's broken over your sin. That's the way you come to Christ, is to be broken over your sin. And I've got a verse here which tells us how we're separated from, from God, not from his love. We know that from Romans 8. But here's what it says. But your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that you will not hear. What it's telling us is that the sins, sin can break fellowship with God. And so God would that we would repent. And one thing that we're going to see in this account is that there is a blessing in repenting. There, there's a blessing in it. Again, so many preachers, repent, you sinner. But there's a blessing in repentance. If you're involved in something and you know you shouldn't be involved in it, maybe you've even been thinking, I need to get this out of my life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's, it's just something that's become behavioral to you and you know you need to change it. When you turn from it, there's a blessing in that. God wants to bless you in turning from that. So let's turn to the prodigal son. Let's look at these three different characters. So we see, first of all, in verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he delivered them to his livelihood. Now in their day, like in our day, you don't receive your inheritance before your parents die. So for him to ask this was a little bit uppity of him. Imagine your children coming to you and one of your children coming and saying, can you give me what I'm going to have when you're at my inheritance? You're like, no, wait till I die. And if I have anything left over, you can have it. If I have anything left over. So this is a, a disrespectful thing to his father. But, but the father doesn't hold the son back from going. This is a picture of God and why God allows people on the earth to go wayward because God wants you to love him because you choose to. God wants you to be close to him because you want to be close to him. And if you want to go your own way, you can go your own way. God is not going to make you stay close to him. We try to do that with our kids. Sometimes we use, you know, I'll help you with the house. But, you know, we put strings on, on our help to our children. God's not like that. God doesn't put strings to him. He wants us to be there because we love him. And so he did it. And then in verse 13, after and, and not many days afterwards, I read that in the earlier services, many days, not many days. So just not long. He's got this money. The younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country. And there he wasted his possessions on prodigal living. It didn't take him long to lose everything, which is one of the reasons we don't want to give the, our children their inheritance now. The Bible says money you haven't earned. This is a parable. I'm going to paraphrase it. Money you haven't earned makes wings and flies away. There's something about earning the money that makes you go, I'm going to be careful with this. There's something about just getting the money that is like, woohoo. We had a relative, remain nameless, who inherited $15,000. This is an 18-year-old kid. Spent it in one day. One day it was gone. And he spent it on a car that didn't run. <laughs> of all things. That's, um, that's the prodigal son. He's gone. He's just wasted. He had a good time, I'm sure. There's fun. There's joy in sin for a season, right? Moses chose not to live for the joy of sin for a season, but to suffer with the people of God. So he had fun. 
But when he had spent it all, he arose and a severe famine was in the land and he began to be in want. And this is a picture of what happens to people when they push away from God. They're living their own lives. They don't want his help. They don't need his help. And sin is destructive. The reason God doesn't want sin in your life is not just because he's made something to be sin. Sin is sin because it's inherent. It has something inherent in it that makes it sin. It's destructive. In other words, it's a sin to slander someone, the Bible says. Don't bear false witness. It was one of the Ten Commandments. That's evil in itself when you slander someone. That's why it's sin. It's not sin just because God went, oh, I'm going to make that sin. It's sin because it's awful to slander someone. Inherent in it is sin. Same, thou, thou shalt not steal. Same thing. Inherent in that is it's wrong to take what belongs to someone else. It's just wrong. It's not that God just wanted to randomly chose stealing to make sin. Inherently, it's wrong. And all sin is that way. There's not one sin that isn't inherent, doesn't have something inherent in it that is wrong and causes destruction. And so because he's out living in sin, this was bound to happen. When we live in sin, we're bound to have negative things in our lives because that's what sin does. And so he's at the, at the bottom. Maybe the, the father knew this was going to happen. And verse 15, excuse me, verse 14, but we hadn't spent it all, he rose and there's a famine in the land. And then verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, got a job, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. He's a long ways off from his father. His father's Jewish. He's a long ways off. To get a job feeding swine is, how do, how do I say it? For a Jewish person, it would be, an off, it would be an awful job. It would be an embarrassing job. It's like the worst job you could get if you're a Jewish person. What do you do? Feed pigs. What? You're not supposed to eat pigs, much less feed pigs. Um, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. So again, this is a picture of what sin does in our lives. When we push away from God, this is where we get to. But when he came to himself, this is verse 17. And this is the moment when a prodigal or a non-believer around the world suddenly realizes, I need God. I can't live my life apart from him. I need him in my life. He comes to himself and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to eat to spare? He says, I'm working for this guy. I can't eat. My father's such a good guy that he gives his servants extra food. And he says, and I will perish of hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. I love that he rehearses what he's going to say because I do that. When I got a hard conversation, I, I go down the road talking about it. And then when I get to the, the meeting, I rarely ever say what I said I was going to say. I'm a lot harsher in my car than I am when I'm talking to the individual. Are you like that? Or are you more harsh when you get in front of people? I don't know. Could be different, I guess. But he, he rehearses what he's going to say to his dad. And um, this, is a, this whole section is a type of the goodness of God that draws people. We, we read that God draws us with loving kindness. This son thought, I'm here. I'm hungry. This guy's not feeding. My father does so much. He's so good. I'm going to go back to my father. There's a, a passage in Romans 2, 4 that says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing 
The goodness of God leads to repentance. It's the goodness of God that makes us come back to him for repentance. It, it's not God gonna, God's going to get you, but it's God's good. And if I go back to him or if I go to him, then I'm going to be blessed because I did. And so then in verse 20, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, in our day, you see men jogging. I realize if you're a runner, you don't like the word jog, so I used it on purpose. <laughs> we see men running. It's not uncommon. We want to we be in shape, right? These days, we don't want to go to the gym, so we go out and run. Their day, it was undignified to run. They, they walked everywhere, too, so they were probably in a lot better shape than we are. Maybe they didn't need to go out and jog to get in shape. So... For him to run to his son was undignified. But, and, and I like what Greg Laurie says here. When Greg Laurie says, I wonder what the son thought when he saw his dad. That's dad. And he's running to me. He's going to kill me, right? <laughs> something, along, something along those lines. He's going to be angry. He's going to kill me. But the father had, didn't have that in mind at all. He just saw his son and he ran and he wrapped his arms around him and he fell on him and he kissed him which was a surprising reaction to the son. And, and I think always the incredible love and acceptance of God and affection towards us when we, re, when we come to him or return to him always surprises us. And the son said to him, gave him his little rehearsed speech, for I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. His father ignored his speech. Verse 22, but the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is God's heart when anyone comes to him. We saw with our last two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. There's joy in heaven when one sinner comes to Christ. Just one. There's joy in heaven. And so, so here they're making merry because he's returned. He felt unworthy. I'm not worthy to be your son. We often feel unworthy. That's not surprising to me that we feel that way. I have felt unworthy. And when someone says to me, I just don't feel worthy of God's love, I say, welcome to the club. That's all of us. We all have done things that, that we're not worthy of. And so now the older son comes into play. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And he came and he drew near. So he's just working away. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And he drew near to his house and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked oh, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. So this brother that's been there all along, that's been faithful all along, is now upset because the other brother is being helped. This can be the attitude when you are serving and following God. It's been the attitude of people in church for centuries. Someone comes into church that wouldn't normally be there. Someone Jesus would receive and wants us to receive. And we look down on them. How, how dare they wear that to church, you know, or, or whatever it would be. We can easily become prideful about the fact that we have been faithful to God. And so he's angry, but his father goes out to him. Like his father went out to the, the prodigal, the father went out to the faithful son. 
God's always approaching us. God just doesn't ever leave us. God comes out to us, even when we're upset about things we shouldn't be upset about. And so he came out to him and he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. How many of you believe that he never once went against his father's will? You know, we get, you know, kind of, we get our eyes on ourselves and we have things distorted. You may have been faithful to God your whole life. There are believers that are like that. They met God when they were a child. They knew God while they were growing up and they just followed God and they never had a time of being away from God. Every once in a while when I'm baptizing someone, they'll say to me and I'll ask them, how long have you been a Christian? They'll say, honestly, my whole life. I grew up in a good church and I knew Christ as soon as I could and I've known him my whole life. That's, that's great. That's awesome. There are people that are like that. There is a blessing in that as well as you're going to see. There's not only a blessing when the prodigal returns, because if there was a blessing for the prodigal who returns, but not a blessing for the ones who faithful, then we're all like, let's go get some prodigal living in so we can be blessed when we repent. So he answered and said, you know, now he's going to start to complain a little bit. And yet you've never given me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. You kill the fatted calf for my brother. You haven't even given me a young goat. Poor guy. And he says that I might make merry. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood on harlots. How, do, how does he know that? How does he know that his brother spent the money on harlots? He's only heard from a servant. He doesn't. He's probably right. But, how, but he's judging him because you don't know. And it's better not to assume things like this when you don't know. And that's what we do when we are faithful to God and we look at someone that's, that's in trouble, obviously, or that has problems in their lives and we judge them. They're probably like this. They're probably like that. We don't have the heart of God for that person who is a prodigal. And then he says, um, and you killed the fatted calf. He spent your money on harlots and you killed the fatted calf. And he said to him, son, you, will all, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. This is why I say this cannot be the scribes and Pharisees. That's the, that's the main uh, comparison people try to make. Well, this is the scribes and Pharisees. That's the older son. It's not. Because Jesus called the scribes and Pharisees. He said, you're of your father, the devil. They weren't really genuine believers. They were hypocrites. They weren't genuine. This, this guy's genuine. This represents faithful believers. And they have everything. All that I have is yours. The Bible says that we are co-inheritors with Jesus. And in, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says you have everything. He's telling the Corinthians, they got, they got a host of problems. They're a problem church. But he says, you guys have everything because we, we inherit it all with Jesus, which is amazing. That's true of the prodigal as well, but it's true when you are faithful. In other words, there's a blessing in faithfulness and there's a blessing in repentance. And this is my conclusion that whether you are faithful or whether you're coming back to Christ, there is a blessing. Anytime you turn from sin, there's a blessing that comes with it. The prodigal son turned. What was his repentance? My father's servants are treated better than this. I'm going to go back to my father. That's what was repentance was. It's not saying you're going to do something. It's not deciding you're going to do something. It's doing it. When you are doing it, that's repentance. And so there's a blessing in repentance and there's a blessing when you're faithful and you serve God faithfully. You don't have to become a prodigal to find the blessing. 
you serve God and there's a blessing with that as well. And then verse 32, he says, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and now is found. And I will take that last verse and say that that is God's desire for us to have a passion for souls. God's desire for us to love people who are perishing. That we would be praying for these people, that we would be living our lives in such a way that people could see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And I want to remind you that no one does this by themselves. As you have that sphere of influence of family, friends, coworkers, and acquaintances that you know, it overlaps with other people. And there's other people that know Christ. That I, I have family in Albuquerque, last name of Furrow, who got saved, not by me, wouldn't listen to me, but got saved by someone else. All of a sudden, I find out they're saved and going to Calvary Chapel of Albuquerque. And I'm like, what? How did that happen? Because you're, you're, you do what you do. The Bible says one man waters, another man sows, another man plants, and God adds the increase. So God's the one doing it. We just got to do our part. We just got to live our lives, plant seeds, water, let people see Christ in us, pray for them, faithfully pray for them, get a heart and a passion for the lost. And, and I hope that that's what God does in our heart. And as I pray for you in a few minutes, I'm going to pray that God would do that within us. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and the richness that we find here. Thank you that we see that you have a real desire for everyone in the world and you have revealed yourself to everyone and that you want people to get saved so much you put them in times and you've determined their boundaries so that they would grope for you and find you. And so, Lord, we pray you would use us to help to reach out for those who are lost. And for those that are prodigals here today, whether they've never come to you or whether they've walked away, I pray you'd give them the boldness to take the next step and commit themselves to you. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.